Welcome back to Marvel Maniac and MCU After Show. This is your host, Eric Cicada, a.k.a. Mr. Honest, back with you for a big episode. Welcome to Phase 5. We have officially entered Phase 5 of the MCU with this installment, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. This is the third Ant-Man movie. However, this is Ant-Man's fifth appearance in the MCU, as well as the Wasp, who's made her appearance in Avengers Endgame, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and the first Ant-Man. So this is her fourth appearance. I remember a while back thinking that this movie was going to be a later release in the year, and we get Guardians first. However, we're here in the Ant-Man universe again, getting to experience uh, kind of a big step forward in the MCU and where it's going. Phase 5 launches with a huge title my biggest and only criticism of the movie right now is that there was too much given away for a marvel trailer in this movie um i'm gonna say at this point from this point on spoilers for ant-man and the wasp quantum media and the greater mcu as a whole um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the show loki so if you haven't seen loki just be ready for some major plot point reveals from that show so this movie is all about breaking into a new beyond. Quantum Mania gives us a new look in to the quantum realm. And the very beginning of this movie, the first shot is Jenna Van Dyne at the bottom of the quantum realm, um, searching for something, if not if anything, um, and then she finds it and King the Conqueror. And that is kind of where this movie jumps off of. Um, we cut back to kind of present day, and it is just believed by everyone who saved Janet Hank, Scott, Hope, Cassie, that there's nothing really down there. It's just kind of like this vast nothingness. It's another universe, but like there's really no signs of life or anything. Like there's not sentient beings. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing that we kind of come to learn in this movie exists to anyone but Janet. Um, and that is because fear is instilled in Janet from the time she was down there. Last week, when I talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp's journey through the MCU, I mentioned how Scott Lang had a podcast, and I thought that was mistaken for a book, which I said in the previous episode. However, he does have a podcast in the show Miss Marvel, and in this movie, he is releasing a book, and he is telling all his stories about his time with the Avengers, uh, how the Hulk turned him into a baby, um... And he's kind of going around from place to place, business to business, like just man of the town. And another thing I will point out, a big thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is movies. The third installment for a hero in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie must have a voiceover narration that accompanies the beginning and the end of the movie. For some reason, like nearly everyone, um, except for Captain America 3, um, Iron Man 3, Thor 3, now this one, um, there's a narration talking like, I'm Scott Lang, this is me, this is about me being Ant-Man, um, and I find that kind of a nice see-through, like a nice continuity uh, between the Marvel movies, just, I, I don't know why they made that, they make that decision, if it's a conscious decision, a lot of the continuity decisions seem like conscious by Marvel, um, and I don't know if it's just like in the contract that the main character needs to have a voiceover narration to start their third movie. And it reminds me so much of Iron Man three, um, because of that, um, a movie that we will get into very soon, if not like next episode, um, because it's kind of where I am in my going back and reviewing all of the greater MCU right now. But let's get back to this movie, um, comparing it to Iron Man three and that this is about a hero where he is 
and where he is because of what he's done as a hero. And Scott Lang doesn't have a whole lot of trauma at the start of this movie. Scott Lang is kind of at peace. Um, like I mentioned in my last episode, Scott has lost a lot of time with his daughter, Cassie. And I did think that maybe he was going to work out some sort of bargain with Kang in this movie for time. And that's kind of what the trailers did lead us to believe a little misguiding in the trailers there, um, which is good on Marvel's part. However, Scott's lack of, of time with his daughter Cassie kind of drives him in this movie. I think the idea of losing her, which is pre presented multiple times, is devastating to him considering how much he's lost. So this movie centers around the conflict of the group being trapped in the quantum realm and just trying to get out back to their base reality. By not telling her family what was down there, it kind of sends them into a whirlwind when they do get down there, and they're all in a state of shock because they had no idea that there was life, let alone um, kind of a war going on down in the quantum realm. And the thing is, going into this movie, that's all kind of known and put together by you as an audience member, um, and that's one thing, and I'm going to probably talk about it maybe once or twice more, just because it's my genuine thought about it, um, the the trailers of this movie gave away way too much. Um, a few things in that we get to see Modoc on the trailer, which is a huge reveal in this movie. Um, and we'll get to that. We'll get to all the cool reveals. Um, once I get past this kind of like little bit of a rant on the spoiler aspects of trailers. Um, my favorite thing about the MCU in previous installments of movies and anything they put out um it was mostly movies up until recently is that the trailer barely gave anything away for the movie like avengers endgame we didn't even know there was going to be time travel you could kind of guess that there might be time travel but no it relied on the characters in the promotion and what this movie did so wrong was give away too much of Kang and give away too much of major plot reveals that are supposed to be like a big surprise, like big set pieces in the movie shouldn't have been given away. Like they shouldn't even have shown all the Ant-Men running in the trailer. Um, if, if they shouldn't have shown MODOK in the trailer and they shouldn't have shown so much Kang action in the trailer because that leaves us with seeing pretty much bits and pieces of the entire movie. And that doesn't make the movie bad. It just kind of hinders your experience in watching it. It reminds me of when I kind of wish, and they never do this, but I kind of wish they'd never put uh, Hulk in the advertisements for Thor Ragnarok and how that would have been a really cool cameo. Um, just Marvel needed this movie to be, be a success, so they had to show more in the trailers um now trying to put that all aside and going in with fresh eyes uh i think the plot points and the reveals in this movie are really cool and i think it, there's a lot of fan service in this movie um i haven't even gotten to the post credit scene yet which is maybe just a, a main reason to go see uh the movie if you're just a fan of loki or a fan of marvel comics um We'll talk about the post credit scene in a bit. I am just want to get through the movie because there's a lot that happened in this movie. We did learn a lot. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is when Scott and Cassie enter the quantum realm, that thing they have to drink um, for, uh, literally out of that goo guy, the red goo guy, um, drink the goo. <laughs> and they drink it and it gives everyone kind of this universal language and everyone could speak to each other after they drink this alien goo, um, which is later scene taken in shot form at a bar when Janet Hope and Hank are meeting Bill Murray for the first time. The only time. 
let's backtrack a tiny little bit to how they got down there. Cassie was with Hank, her grandpa, building uh, basically GPS Hubble telescope type deal that goes into the quantum realm and just surveys everything. And it sends out a beacon into the quantum realm. Um, and this is all being presented to Janet, Hope, and Scott. And, it, you know, Janet's all on board up until they say beacon. And at that point, she says shut it down at, to, to a point where she knocks the thing and <laughs> sets them on a course of going in there. Um, I don't know. See, I don't know if when she hits it, it happens because she hit it. The fact that they get sucked into the quantum realm or like Kang was surveying them and uh, planned for that to happen at that exact moment. Like he, he grabbed them in some way with his powers um, from the beacon. And just because they were about to shut it down, he grabbed them. Um, one or the other could have happened. Uh, it's not too clear on which did. Once Scott and Cassie drink the goo, we meet a new character named Kaz who can read minds. And he basically clears the air in that they're all good. Um, they know nothing at all, Scott and Cassie. Um, the movie takes a long time after we meet Kang in the beginning. It takes probably a good like 30, maybe even 40 minutes before we see him again. Um, they're kind of like building him up in that this group that Scott and Cassie find are kind of rebels against Kang and they're in hiding because Kang like burned everything. Um, the conqueror, they call him. There's this one character with like a glass hammer head and he shoots like light out of his head. And I thought that was really cool. I thought the character designs in this were really fun. And, um, the new character, Gentora, uh, kind of this leader of this rebel group that Scott and Cassie find. She's kind of a big player in this movie um, on the ground, helping fight Kang at the end of the movie. She's kind of gothic looking, a gothic warrior. And Kaz uh, is Quaz or Kaz. I don't know. On IMDb, it's Q-U-A-Z. Uh, he's the mind reader. And um, I thought like the scenes between him and Scott were really funny. We somehow got more and less of Bill Murray in this movie than I was expecting at the same time. Because it was like one big scene that Bill Murray's character, Lord Kryler, came in. And he is Janet's hope to find Scott and Cassie. We learn that Janet and Lord Kryler, played by Bill Murray, had somewhat of like a romantic history. And Kryler definitely reminds janet of that throughout their conversation and the conversation um at this alien bar the scenes in this movie are taking place in such alien places it's almost like it's in deep outer space um the the quantum realm it's it's an it's almost like another distant planet uh and the music and the soundtrack kind of really captures like the weirdness of the place and just like bill murray says like he he doesn't even know what humans are even though he is a human it's just a whole other world with a whole other language and meaning and um creatures and it, it the, the movie like every almost every scene of the movie has something like fantastic or wild or just out of this world and the movie does a great job of like bringing us into a whole other dimension that we've never really seen in the ant-man movies let alone the marvel cinematic universe we got some hints of the quantum realm in the other movies and they did a good job of kind of expanding that art style on a ground level like where is the bottom of this place and if there is life down here how can it sustain um well it's it's not doing so great overall because of the wars happening the life is <laughs> the life like was probably flourishing a little bit better down there um when Kane the Conqueror wasn't 
like dominating. So Lord Kryler lets Janet and Co know that Kang is already coming for Scott and Cassie. He already knows they're here. And if he knows they're here, he knows you're here. Um, something along the lines of that. And he's going to bring them in. Like he, he has like a, a little gang and he's going to turn on Janet and Hope and Hank. And they don't take that. So they fight their way out of this situation and they steal his ship, which Hank commands uh, like goo arm steering. There's like goo and you put your arms in it and you steer the ship. And it's very alien and very odd. And Hank learns how to fly this thing like a master. At the beginning of the movie, we meet these special ants that Hank is working on, like these radioactive ants. And we see them getting sucked into the quantum realm when everyone else does. So they steal the ship. And meanwhile, Scott and Cassie are taken by MODOK. I forget which one they go with in the movie, but it's mental, mobile, mechanized, organ, one of those three M's. So a mobile organism designed only for killing. And MODOK in this movie is Darren Cross from the first Ant-Man. And the trailer giving that away is so upsetting. Um, they didn't have to show his face. Um, I think that spoiler got out. And, um, man, this could have been a really cool twist without knowing that. However, his presence in the movie is so funny and uh, so strong. I, I think they did a good job with MODOK. However, I don't know if this is one of those things I'm going to be way off on like comic book fans are going to be really pissed or something that they like changed a big character in Modoc. However, that's one of my favorite things about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is when they change the small things to accompany the universe that they're creating um, and creating original, unique stories. Uh, my only maybe gripe is that maybe he shouldn't have died. Um, like, like, why can't Marvel... Uh, why does Marvel have to take away like a really cool villain right away? However, we're in a multiverse of infinite possibilities. Uh, so we can get that MODOK back or a different MODOK. Um, this is like the time in Marvel where they can like start and reset stories at, in the snap of a finger. Through Bill Murray's character, we learn that Janet has a dark past with Kang. And we don't really know what it is. It's just that she's not what everyone thinks she is, is what he's saying. Janet finally tells the story of what happened when she met Kang and it was really cool. Like everything about Kang in this movie, just like the story of Kang and like where he came from and everything going on about him is like kind of where my attention was at in this movie. And it, it was the most interesting by far. Uh, he has this multiversal ship that he crash landed on and she found that that was going to be the only way for her to get out of the quantum realm. So him and her teamed up, Kang and Janet Van Dyne, to rebuild his multiversal uh, time seat. And uh, this probably is going to have a more official name in the future. Like, but it's a it's a multi-dimensional time chair, and it can go through time and it can go through multiverses. And she helps him rebuild it over like a long period of time she says they tried everything to the point where they finally fixed it and when they fixed it this energy running through it when he was sitting on it reveals all of his thoughts and like memories to janet and in an instant she sees just devastation like she sees war she sees suffering she hears people screaming and she knows how evil kang is and what he's done going back to when we when he meets scott now um he's says, are you an Avenger? Haven't I killed you before? Uh, they all blend together after a period of time. So this Kang the Conqueror, if you want to actually think about it, has gone through our MCU timeline. Just imagine all the movies that have happened uh, 
previous to this one, and he has taken our Avengers out of like Thor one. Thor one Thor could have been a victim of Kang just as as Thor one is saving the day um, in that small town. I think it's Albuquerque. <laughs> I think it's New Mexico, not Albuquerque. Um, when Thor is fighting in New Mexico. Kang comes down, takes him out. When Iron Man is fighting the drones in Iron Man 2, he comes down, he takes them out. You know, when the Guardians of the Galaxy are fighting for the Power Stone on Xandar, Kang comes down, takes out all the Guardians. Kang defeats Avengers, and he's done this multiple times because the multiversal war is officially afoot. We'll talk more about that towards the end of the episode when I talk about the post credit scene, but all we know is Kang has taken out multiple Avengers at this point, and what Janet did when she found out what Kang did in his life, she destroys everything so he can't get out of the quantum realm, stranding her there as well, um, and she find, finds out that Kang was actually exiled. Exiled? By who? Well, later we will find that out, and... <laughs> the, one of my favorite post post credit scene of all time scenes of all time, um, that like matching up with maybe the first Avengers post credit scene where we meet Thanos. I don't know the name for these things, but the things that make everything like these discs that Ant Man throws that makes things larger and smaller. Um, Janet throws just a bunch of those on Kang's multiversal core, and it just blows it up into a giant situation, and. That's where she leaves it, and this is where Ant-Man comes in for Kang, and he needs Ant-Man to go retrieve the core and to shrink it back down, or he'll hurt Cassie. He'll really hurt Cassie. Like he puts he Kang, Kang has kind of like force powers, like in Star Wars. I I don't know if he went to the Star Wars universe and learned the force in all his conquering. This Kang can like force choke people, and that's what he was doing to Cassie when he threatened Scott to go retrieve the multiversal core. Cassie in this movie has her own Ant-Man suit, and I haven't mentioned how cool I think it is, and she really pops in and out of action really fluently. The more strong women in the MCU, the better. So Scott goes on the mission to retrieve the multiversal core, while Hank, Hope, and Janet are on their way to go help him. Uh, they end up getting there in just the nick of time. Another thing kind of shown in the trailers. When Scott is down to retrieve the core, he starts splitting up into different versions of himself. It's kind of like a multiversal paradox. And he's on comms with MODOK, who refuses to be answered uh, Darren anymore at this point. He's just MODOK. And that's kind of his identity. He has a whole identity crisis throughout this film, MODOK. He doesn't even know why he should exist, so he becomes just kind of a dick and uh that's what cassie tells him that's not being a dick um so he doesn't want to be like that anymore by the end of the movie uh so he makes kind of like a sacrifice play um but i like the part when scott is transforming into multiple versions of himself and um every time a scott lang trying to tries to turn into giant man the giant man kind of dissipates um it's like i got this i got this all the scott langs are like i got this and then we get like a dairy queen um not dairy queen Baskin Robbins, Scott Lang, and uh, he is kind of the most encouraging of the bunch. So they all pile up like a big group of ants. Scott is pretty much there, and he throws his disc at the core, and it doesn't shrink. And then Hope comes in at the exact right minute, and they both throw more uh, disc at the core, and it finally shrinks into Scott's hand. And Scott temporarily saves the day. Um, retrieving something for someone that doesn't need to be in that person's hands. So Janet quickly arrives to tell Scott that he can't hand it over, and then Kang shows up, and he pretty much says Janet has a big way of lying, uh, and 
Kang is very betrayed by Janet in this movie. Like, if this Kang were evil, um, this this version of Kang was really kind of shown good by Janet. And I think when she saw his thoughts, he became really vulnerable and defensive. And this Kang is very, very defensive and vulnerable already because he's been exiled by his own, we later learn, um, literally his own counterparts. Um He's been exiled. So this is probably a very bad version or maybe, I mean, s- scary enough to think that this Kang might be like one of the weaker Kangs of the bunch and they exiled him for like being like maybe a good version. <laughs> like what if this were like uh, like uh, the best like good guy version of Kang that we just lost, kind of like Scott is saying at the end of the movie. Um, at this point, there's a small fight between Kang, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and he kind of flicks them literally uh away from him and they get some punches in too um there's a lot of fighting between those three in this movie and uh there's some good action in this movie it seems like this kang was really holding off his full power like until the end of the movie when everything was really threatened in his face um so kang takes the core takes it back to like the center of his city and cassie in the meanwhile escapes and goes back to the group of rebels featuring gentora and Quaz, uh, their names, and um, she eventually sets out like a beacon that overrides Kang's beacon. Um, that Kang is telling the whole quantum realm that he's gonna take his conquering to the next level into the outer world, and he's bringing his whole civilization that he's built with them. Um, Cassie is able to override this message and say, Now is the time to stand up and rebel against Kang. And um, this is where Scott realizes he needs to go back and help his daughter. And the whole gang heads back towards the city. And uh, Hank reveals to Scott that he read his book. And he directly quotes a line from the book. And I can't think of the exact line now, but it's something about we could always get bigger or something like that. Uh, hinting towards we need giant man right now. Um, so as Kang is powering up his multiversal like city to travel from like this quantum realm into our world pretty much and take over our world, um, let alone the multiverse, he is stopped by giant man, Scott Lang, uh, trampling through the city. Probably the best cinematic scenes we get in the movie are like Scott tackling this city, um, being technically a war machine um, against all of Kang's army and... Man, I I just like the visuals of this of this a lot. There's so much color and there's so much there was so much detail. Um and I don't think we've ever seen Scott get that big. He gets bigger in every movie. Um and as this is happening, Cassie is working her way uh on the ground with the rebels and they eventually make their way to Kang. And Scott does this giant like jump into Kang's force field uh and he breaks down the force field and breaks everything um well just enough like it's not fully broken to where they can't use it to transport back later um but Kang believes it's broken so this is where Kang kind of takes his steps out meanwhile Cassie is just being chased by Modok um and she punches him in the face as she's she becomes giant for the first time and she knocks him out really good and she she tells him to stop being a dick and um <laughs> i love that uh and 
Cassie and Scott embrace each other um, when they're both giant, and uh, they're both like mentioning how they both get super hungry when they're giant. This is when Kang goes on a rampage and starts using all his powers against the Rebellion. I feel like Kang's suit has a lot of Iron Man powers with the repulsor blast that he used, along with those force powers that he has, um, where he can kind of like throw people and pick people up um, with kind of this sort of magic. Kang is very powerful. Um, however, not anything against Hank Pym's radioactive ants. Um, I don't know if they're radioactive or um, what, what's the deal with them exactly, but they're super ants. And basically what happened was when they entered the quantum realm, they lived for like a thousand years and built their civilization, like a whole civilization, and then came back and found Hank. Um, so Hank is the classic Ant-Man, and there's true homage to that when um, – everyone's just being overrun by Kang the ants come in and save the day and that's kind of a nice homage to the franchise and if you think about it um we know Kang the Conqueror is a huge threat um but no threat greater than our heroes um our heroes are able to take him down in this movie um almost making it seem like he's strong but he's defeatable and how can he be this next great threat exactly well there was a reason he was exiled and we don't know the exact reason yet if we are to ever learn why this exact kang was exiled so while the giant horde of ants are attacking kang he's using a force field to protect himself from the ants and modok comes in and makes a sacrifice play and Every time someone meets Modoc, Darren Cross, they're like, Darren? And like Hope meets him at the very end. And uh, Scott's like, yeah, it's a long story. I'll tell you about it later. Um, it's just shocking what happened to this man. Um, like these comic book things happening to like regular people and characters that we like this character that we even knew in the first Ant-Man movie, Darren Cross. By the way, I like that line by Cassie where she says, um, I was attacked by a giant bumblebee in my room when I was a kid. Um, my life has never been normal. After Modok makes the sacrifice play, the day is apparently saved. Kang seems defeated, and everyone makes their way back up to the main chamber of Kang's like lair because Janet can open the quantum realm door for the time being to get them back home. So everyone goes through the door, and Scott kind of like is the last one, and he push Cassie pushes Cassie, I think, to get her out of the way uh, because Kang is actually attacking Scott again. So they have this big brutal battle. Um, Again, we see, we see Kang stomp um, Scott's helmet in the trailer, which is like one of the big final things. Like I'd be a little, I was a little less worried for Scott for some reason because of the trailer. Like I felt like Scott was safe. I didn't think they were going to take Scott out. But then, for a slight second, I was like, Are they going to do this? Is Scott going to make it out of here? The Wasp pops back out of the door to help Scott and Ant Man and the Wasp beat the living crap out of Kang the Conqueror together and they push him right into like the the power source of the core of the multiversal core and he gets like sucked into it uh, anytime a villain gets sucked into some sort of a vortex I don't believe they're fully gone um, similar to Darren Cross in this own in this very franchise uh, when he got sucked into the quantum realm in the first movie um his body was being like morphed and then he got sucked in leading in to the, him being modok they could have planned on that all along and the fact that king the conqueror gets like kind of sucked into his machine it just makes me think that that's not the last we're even going to see of this variant scott and co finally leave the quantum realm and we end the movie with another montage of scott 
out in his regular life, kind of narr- montage narrating um, what's happening. And he goes on to say that he defeated Kang. Everything's good, right? Is everything actually good? Uh, he did say that something worse is coming. And he has no. He just has this looming threat. And it's so much like Iron Man in Iron Man 3. Although we sort of leave Scott on the note that Tony starts on in that movie. Overall, this movie is about family and wanting to keep your family safe. However, there is a bit of a moral of the story in that, like, don't mess with a universe that you don't know too much about. Um, You know, if Cassie never put out that GPS, they never would have gotten brought down there. Um, And this Kang dying leading to the post credit scene that we get where we're going to talk about that um, in a few seconds that might like the events of this movie might lead to catastrophic events in the MCU. Um, just opening that door, um, because if this Kang wasn't defeated, um, it wouldn't have let the other Kangs know that the Avengers are ready for a greater form of war. Kind of like Thor says in the first Avengers movie, um, earth is like telling by, by using the Tesseract, it's telling the rest of the universe that it's, ready for like a greater form of war um by entering the multiverse the kings the council of kings is informed that they might be ready for another form of war um so the post credit scene we get more kings and we get a lot more kings it is the council of kings and it starts off we see a big statue and it this place looks a lot more dark than the tva looks in loki and they're all entering through similar time doors to what we see in Loki. And there's a few at the top um, talking about how the exiled one was defeated. And one of them says to the other, don't you wish it was you that got him? And it wasn't any of us that got him. It was one of them. And they look at the multiverse and it's, and uh, kind of the main Pharaoh, like Kang. Um, he has a real raspy voice like this. Uh, he's he's saying how they've touched the multiverse. They're becoming a greater threat. Um, and this is why they're assembling because of this Kang's death. So uh, one Kang says, how many did you call? And the main Kang says, I called all of them. So we see the stadium basically filling up with all of these variants of Kang cheering and like going crazy. Um there are so many more Kangs than you could even imagine. It is insane. In our second post credit scene, we get another Kang and a look at, I think it's going to be Loki season two. It doesn't say it directly. And he says, time is everything. While revealing to a stage of people um, in like 1950s attire, it looks like 1960s. It's very early times. He says, time shapes our lives, but perhaps we can shape it. And we get a close-up on this Kang, who is like a mad scientist version of Kang the Conqueror. And then we cut to Loki in the crowd, and he says, that's him. And Mobius is like, oh, come on, he's not that bad. And Loki's like, he is. Um, Damn, I'm so excited for Loki season two. It's going to be really good after this movie. And... This post credit scene um, really does set up the next Avengers movie, um, the first one at least, and the second one, um, just showing all the variants of Kang, um, the possibilities of Kang. Uh, the first one, you know, uh, the fact that they're saying the Avengers pretty much are a threat 
to them now, the fact that they're touching the multiverse. Um, it might also be a reflection of like what Doctor Strange is doing down there and some of the things in uh, No Way Home uh, that are like kind of letting the Council of Kings know that the Avengers are starting to take down Kings. Um, and if one King can be defeated, all of them can most likely be defeated. But if they're together, then they're a huge threat. Uh, that's a hive mind of genius. Um, so it is the greatest threat the Avengers have faced yet. Um, it, you know, the first King we met in this movie, um, he he reminds you of Thanos in uh, one line where he's like, "I'm right. I know I'm right." Um, you know, Thanos is like, "I'm the only one who knows it." Um, you can compare these these villains and their intellect at the very least. And the fact that this Kang is on even like a mental level of Thanos, whether he doesn't have like the brute strength um, goes to show that if you get like a thousand plus of these guys together, um, they're going to be a huge threat to our Avengers. It looks like the events of Loki happened before or after the show, uh, depending on how you look at it. I believe what happened at the end of Loki allowed for the council of kings to even exist uh, at the beginning of loki there was one timeline and at the end of loki the multiverse was expanding infinitely screen crush on youtube has a theory that he who remains and this version of king the conqueror that we get in ant-man and the wasp quantumania are the same guy and that this Kang actually ends up escaping and infiltrating the con the council of kings and conquering them uh leading to him being he who remains the final Kang variant. Um, and we learn how kind of in Loki that he uses this giant smoke beast, Eliath, to defeat all of his variants and create one sacred timeline. Is that going to happen again? Uh, probably not, because this is a separate instance of that multiversal war. Like the multiversal war happened in Loki, then he who remains won, and now, since He Who Remains was defeated in Loki, this current timeline is going to have another multiversal war, unknowing to pretty much everyone that this has already happened. So is there a possibility that He Who Remains will return? Yes, the possibilities are absolutely endless. It just probably won't be the same outcome, or will it? Is our, or do we not even know the full scope of Loki in that Loki sees the TVA and what this Kang is calling the sacred timeline and he who remains. What if he's just one sort of like Nazi Kang variant that's letting everyone believe that this is the sacred timeline and there's only one and he's just part of the council of Kangs secretly or something like that. Um, or he's just lying about his variants and he didn't win. He's just in a, the, the sacred timeline, maybe earth six, one, six, was just being protected in maybe a pocket timeline dimension, something like that. Anything can anything can happen, and I'm so curious to see where the MCU decides to go with this Council of Kings. Now it's just this looming threat that we're going to be thinking about for a long time, and that looming threat will always be rooted back to this movie, and that's why I think this movie is going to age uh, really well. I think we're going to get a lot more Kang. I think Kang is going to be um, go down in history as one of the greatest on-screen villains uh, when we get his whole story through Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. If that's the story they're going with, who knows? Maybe the Avengers will defeat the Kangs in Secret in sorry, Kang Dynasty. Maybe they'll defeat him and all the all his variants. And then as a result of that fight, we'll have 
a whole other story in Secret Wars 1 and 2. I think they're doing two. It's not confirmed yet, but there's rumors that there's two Secret Wars movies. Now we're going to head over to reddit.com slash r slash Marvel Studios to see what the fans are saying. What does everyone think about this movie? Little Biped said, I really liked how it related to Paul Rudd's inner monologue turned anxiety tech at the end of the movie, which I think is totally played for humor, but it was so, so incredibly accurate. Uh, yeah, anxiety is a thing. And when you have a looming threat like Kang in the multiverse, um, you're going to probably get some anxiety because of what you went through fighting him. Uh, reply to that is from Man Manholm. Exactly. Scott is a happy-go-lucky guy in every film. That scene fits perfectly with his baseline attitude coming into contact with some with some true existential dread. Very accurate. Uh, X3GXU says, whole movie is just an exposition dump on Kang. Uh, she Preak replies, literally, the text in the end doesn't even say that Ant-Man will return. It says that Kang will return. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, we are not talking about Ant-Man anymore by the end of this movie and this podcast. It is really all about Kang. Uh, Elemental Rabbit says, among many other criticisms, Kang's guards really need to learn to properly restrain prisoners during transport and ideally confiscate all their magic discs. Uh, True Legit Damar replied, that scene where Cassie escapes the guards was funny, how the next patrol just ignored the elephant in the room. (laughs) I agree, Kang's guards were somewhat like stormtroopers in that they're not the brightest, and they're kind of just like henchies. The door doesn't work, said, seize five seconds of Loki. Okay, fine. I feel like it's now worth the ticket price. (laughs) Poo Poo Buttholes says, I like when Kang soldiers found Jentora's resistant group. She was, I'm sorry, that guy's name. Um, I, I like how when Kang's soldiers found Jentora's resistance group, she was like, you led them right here when they were the ones who kidnapped Scott and Cassie and brought them right into their base, Alameo. Yeah, it's true. Uh, they were a little uh, blamey there when it was their fault. Um Big WB1024 replied, you actually remembered their names? I want to forget all the new characters. I felt like I met 20 new Meeks. Some honest comments here. Um, I I didn't dislike the new characters. Um, I don't see them coming back for future installments unless it's like an Ant-Man movie. I mean, we didn't even get Lewis in this movie. Um, Ant Hottie said, I cannot believe the trailers hinted at a stronger emotional arc for Scott and Cassie than the film delivered. What happened to Scott wanting more time after all that he lost during the blip? None of that. I also thought it was hilarious that you thought hope was sacrificing herself at the end and her and scott will be stuck in the quantum realm but then cassie reopens the portal it did seem like they were going to be stuck in there but we already know that cassie has the technology and it would take some great efforts on the outside for them not to be able to come back and that is another thing about the trailers that maybe were kind of misleading like it's cool when a marvel trailer misleads you about like the hulk being an infinity war because that character arc is actually being built in a way they don't want to reveal in the trailers um it's another thing to like hint at kind of a strong storyline that probably should be explored a little bit further in that scott lost all this time um we're dealing with a time traveling villain um and it it really is going to push these two stories together in that sense where the person who Kang is talking to about time in the movie is Janet and Janet has also lost a lot of time. 
The mid credit scene is literally one of the most unintentionally funniest scenes throughout this movie. Like, I can't take the Council of Kings seriously with that kind of presentation, says Fakers555. Replied to that is Ooga Booga 2 saying, I laughed at it too. I thought the Stadium of Kings was acting like a bunch of wild animals. Looks like he had a blast playing the part. It, it does. Jonathan Majors is having a lot of fun with Kang, especially those top Council Kings. Um, they're different voices and very distinct character attributes. Um, I think he's only going to dwell further into variants and giving them their own take. Uh, that's why in like interviews he says he considered He Who Remains a different guy um, because he's at a different place on his journey as Kang the Conqueror in this movie. So he kind of has to look at them as like different but the same character. Uh, Carex's Melees on uh, Reddit says, You're telling me that Kang, who's faced hundreds of rebellions, conquered a lot of worlds, killed a lot of Avengers, lost because of an invasion by ants? Don't... Don't know what you think, but it has to be uh, lazy writing for me. Um, I would disagree. I would disagree. I think Ant-Man is an Avenger. Uh, I think he's really honed in on his powers in this movie. And I think the fact that he could take down Kang when Kang is in a weak point. Um, I don't think Kang has access to all of his powers in the quantum realm. And I believe that Ant-Man and the Wasp can take him down. Um, could there have been some more compelling writing in the movie? Maybe a little bit. Uh, but I wasn't too... Put off by the writing in the movie um you know i i wanted that ex exploration of that time lost with scott and his daughter however they didn't go that route and marvel does what it wants <laughs> it just does what it wants um I, I i don't think misleading um major plot points like that in a trailer and having it not be um be there it, it can be a little off-putting um a little off-putting but that doesn't take away from how I felt about this movie as a whole, which was really fun, uh, a thrill ride. Ant-Man movies are usually a little bit more comedic, and there was just a lot more at stake in this movie for our heroes. Josh three five. 5-2 says each time they showed Darren's face I couldn't help but crack up yeah Modoc was really funny I liked him in this movie Zombia, Zombie Dracula said Michael Douglas saying a great writer once said there's always room to grow was maybe the best part for me as an Ant-Man fan that was a dead on that was dead on the type of Ant-Man Ant-Man to Ant-Man talk I came to see <laughs> yeah Michael Douglas keeping a cool head throughout the movie kept me calm as the roller coaster ride went from okay to great to bad to great to okay to all right to oh Loki <laughs> I like that comment from Zombie Dracula that was fun uh T-Man 391 says he looked like he was having a great time playing a cocky a kooky old man all the ant talk and his smirk when they won the day at the end. I love how after being so uncomfortable with flying before he went, I'll drive and set his arms up to be swallowed. Yeah, uh, Hank Pym in this movie is fantastic, and he's the definitive classic Ant-Man. I, I, Paul Rudd in, in and Scott Lang, definitive Ant, definitive Ant-Man for me, um, but Hank Pym, definitive classic Ant-Man. Um, I mean, technically in the MCU, he is the OG Ant-Man. I'm going to read one more set of comments. Zlano says, Kang in the first half of the movie was like when you play against the boss. And in the second half, he was like, it's like when you unlock him as a playable character. But overall, I like the movie. Let's see how the other variants of Kang are going to be. So if you're looking for a great post-episode discussion location, go to reddit.com slash rmarvelstudios. And after every big show or movie, there's an episode discussion thread with a lot of great input from really awesome super mega fans. On a scale of 1 to 10 for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, I'm going to put it at an 8. 
Um, it wasn't an Avengers Endgame or Infinity War. However, it was a solid superhero movie. Ant-Man and the Wasp's journey through the MCU continue in this movie as a great entrance into Phase 5 and giving us hints of the epic Marvel content that is to be released in Loki and the Kang Dynasty, uh, future Avengers films. There's so much potential for so much action and so much story that groundwork needs to be laid in a movie like this. And I think the MCU always does a good job of laying groundwork. It's doing even more in the multiverse saga opposed to the Infinity Saga to set up its villains and its overarching story. Thanks for joining me today. It's been so much fun talking about Quantum Mania. There's so much, like I said, potential on where this can go. And there's going to be a lot more Marvel Maniac to come on the Quantum Realm, on the multiverse, on variants. And I can't even imagine where we're going to be a year from now. Maybe not that much farther down the line, or who knows, maybe some of the shows and movies in post credit scenes uh, to come, like Guardians of the Galaxy or Secret Invasion, um, they're going to maybe reveal a little bit more about this overall story. This has been Marvel Maniac, and MCU after show. I'm your host, Eric Cicada, a.k.a. Mr. Honest. If you want to follow us, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at Marvel Maniac Pod. Assemble with us on Patreon, patreon.com slash marvelmaniac. If you can, leave a review of the show. Any positive review goes a long way, and it may be featured on the show. Let me know your thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and all of Marvel in general. What are your thoughts on where we're going with all the Kings and the Council of Kings? Marvelmaniacpod at gmail.com. Wishing you the most amazing of weeks, and until next time, Avengers, disassemble.